Good evening, everybody. The Lord bless your faithfulness for coming tonight. And if you're able, could we please stand and let's pray before service. Jesus said that he stands at the door and knocks. And so we have to open up the door and invite him in. His presence is always with us, but sometimes we don't feel it. But tonight we're going to ask him to come in, that we could feel his presence, that we we know that all we have to do is speak his name, and he's there. So if we could all pray together tonight. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for this time that we can meet together. We thank you that you are the shepherd and the bishop of our souls, that you love us, that you watch over us, that you take care of us. We pray today, Lord, that as we open up that door, we invite the King of glory to come in, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Today, O Lord, we need you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, O God, for the privilege to worship you, O God. We thank you for your word that we can hide in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against thee, O Lord. We thank you, O Lord, that you are mighty and strong and that we can seek your face and we will be able to find you. Tonight, O Lord, I pray that you would bless your people, the ones that are here tonight and the ones that are online watching. I pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. I pray that you would Make your face shine upon them and be gracious unto them today. Lord, lift up thy countenance upon them and give them peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I just want to give honor to Brother and Sister Becker. I appreciate our pastor and his wife, and I'm so grateful for their authority and for their umbrella of protection. It's important to have somebody that you have to answer to that can protect you, and he watches out for your soul. So tonight we're going to be talking about receiving the mantle. Can you put that up there, Ryan? Receiving the mantle. We're going to be talking a lot out of 1 Kings um, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but we're going to be talking about Elijah and Elisha and about their life. And um, it starts in 1 Kings 19, and it goes all the way to 2 Kings to the 7th chapter. Um, but Elijah and Elisha, um, very great prophets of God. And sometimes people get confused and they say, who came first, Elijah or Elisha? Um, but If you remember in the alphabet, J comes before S, so that's how I remember Elijah was first. Um, The first time that we hear or read about Elijah, and I love reading 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and the Chronicles, and even Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, because once God established a king for the Israelites, sometimes the kings followed him and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes you could have such a godly king, and his son would not follow him. So every time a new king comes on the scene, I'm like, is he going to follow the Lord? Is he going to remember the words that his father, they always say my father David taught? So it's it's interesting, um, and sometimes it's disheartening, because so many of the kings forsake, they forsook the word of the Lord. But Elijah comes on the scene. um, The first time we read about him is in um, chapter 19, or actually chapter 17 of 1 Kings. And the Lord tells him to go to Ahab. Of all the kings that you want to go and talk to, it's not going to be Ahab. He was a wicked king. His wife was Jezebel. They followed Baal. Um, She had the prophets killed, and she had 450 prophets that ate at her table, prophets of Baal. So God sends Elijah to go speak to Ahab and to tell him that until Elisha says there's not going to be any rain and there's not going to be any dew because God is sending judgment to the Israelites because they're following Baal and not him. 
that doesn't make Elijah or Ahab very happy. So, after he gives this message, he knows that he needs to run because Ahab's going to be after him and try to kill him. They killed the prophets. Sometimes it seems like, wow, being a prophet and the Lord spoke through them and used them, but a lot of times the prophets were killed or they sought to kill the prophets because they didn't like the message that the prophet was bringing. So the Lord sends Elijah to a brook, and the Lord sends ravens to feed him. They brought him bread and water twice a day. Because the Lord always takes care of you. If you follow after him, if you're seeking him, he will take care of you no matter what. And then as the brook grew As the brook dried up because there was no rain and there was no dew, God sent Elijah to the country of Phoenicia. He sent him to Zarephath, to Sidon, to Zarephath, to a widow. Now, there were many widows in Israel, but God sent Elijah to a Gentile widow because she knew who he was. I don't know how, but she knew who he was, and he wanted to sustain that widow, and he wanted to sustain Elijah through this three years of drought. And she would be obedient to the word of God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what God told Saul That's through Samuel. So he goes. And she's going out to pick up some sticks because she has enough meal and oil to feed herself and to feed her son, and then they were going to die. Elijah comes. He says, go fetch me some water. So she does. And then he says, and by the way, when you bring me that water, will you bring me a cake? And she says, I only have enough meal to make a cake for my son and I and and oil, and then we're going to die. And he said, the Lord said, if you will feed me first, he will sustain us through this drought. There will be enough oil and there will be enough meal through this drought. And because she knew he was a man of God, she was obedient and she did what he said. And the Lord did. He sustained them. Well, there was three years that passed. And God says, okay, I want you to go find Ahab. And you tell him that there's going to be rain. Now, it's very interesting because Ahab had a governor in his court whose name was Obadiah. And Obadiah feared the Lord. And when Jezebel killed the prophets of God, Obadiah went and hid a hundred prophets. He hid 50 in one cave and he hid 50 in another cave. And he fed them with water and bread for this whole time. So Ahab said to his governor, Obadiah, I don't want all our mules and horses to die, so I'm going to go one way, you're going to go another way, and we're going to search out and see if we can find some grass to feed these animals, so hopefully they won't die. So they did. And as Obadiah is going, he sees Elijah, and he falls at his feet, and he says, is it you, Elijah? And Elijah said, yes. Now you go tell your master, Ahab, that I am here and I want to speak with him. And Obadiah said, what have I done that you want to kill me? Because Ahab has been looking for you high and low. He has gone everywhere looking for you, and he makes those people swear that they have not seen you. That's probably why he was not in Israel. And, and, he, and Obadiah said, if I tell him that you're here, How do I know that the Spirit of the Lord isn't going to just take you up and move you someplace else? And I don't know where you are, and then Ahab will kill me. And Elijah assured him that I'll be there. I'll be there. So, in the meantime, Elijah says to the people, he says, get get all those prophets of Baal. We're going to see who's God. We're going to decide today who is God. If Baal is God then you can serve him. But if God is God, you're going to serve him. And so they they got the 450 uh, prophets of Baal. They went to Mount Carmel. Um, They each had a bullock they selected. 
and um, he said, okay, you prophets of Baal, you go ahead first. But the God that answers by fire, he's going to be the God that we're going to serve. So all day long, these prophets were crying out to their God. And after a while, Elijah began to mock him because we know there's only one God. And he began to say, is your God sleeping? Is he, on a, you know, is he eating? It, can he not hear you? And, and as the day wore on, they began to cut themselves. And no matter what they did, of course, Baal didn't answer by fire because he's not a God. And so finally... Finally, as it's getting close to the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, okay, men, now remember, there was a drought for three years. There was a famine. He said, I want you to dig, I'm going to build this altar, which he did, and I want you to dig a trench around it and dig it deep. And they did. And then he said, pour barrels of water in this trench and pour it over the bullock so everything will be saturated. So they did. They did this four times. And he said, now today you're going to see who is God. The God that answers by fire, that's who we're going to serve. And so God did answer by fire. And the water was, everything was just licked up, and it was on fire, and it was all gone. It was all burned up. And so they knew who God was, and they killed those 450 prophets. So... Elisha meets up with Ahab and he says, you go home and eat because now the rain is going to be coming. So you you eat and then you get in your chariot and you get home to Jezreel before the rain starts coming. And so he did. And when he did, Elijah went up to the mountain and he began to pray. And he sent a servant out and he said, go look to see if the rains come yet. And the servant said, no. And seven times he got on his knees and he prayed because God had said, when you speak, the rain will come. You're shut in the heavens and you're going to speak and the rains will come. And finally, the seventh time, his servant went out and he saw a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah said, the storm's coming. So then he got down from the mountain. And God gave him, he girded up his loins, and God gave him enough strength so that he outran Ahab's chariot. So, then, let's go to 1 Kings 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. So, and I don't know why, I don't know why Jezebel wasn't there, because these were her prophets. Maybe she had such confidence or was so um, high-minded that she just thought that, well, of course, God, you know, Baal's going to answer by fire, and I don't need to be there. But she, Ahab gets home, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by the morrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he, he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Sorry, I just lost my place there. Okay. what happened when you touch these iPads here. Okay. Then said Elijah, okay, I went too far here. Okay, I'm just going to look up here because I lost my place. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? So when Jezebel heard about this, she was very, very angry. And so she sent a messenger to Elijah and said, Tomorrow you're going to be dead by this time. Now the truth of it is, Jezebel is an intimidator. If she could have killed Elijah, he would have already been dead. Whenever something is accomplished in in, in the earth that God has accomplished, there's always going to be some kind of pushback. So Jezebel was pushing back. She was reacting to what God had done. And Elijah, he had... He had just this, just this great miracle had happened. But sometimes the pushback ends up affecting you physically. And he was like emotion. He was drained after this. And he's thinking, you know, this great miracle. Now I have to run for my life. And so he runs to this cave. God feeds him. It's going to sustain him for 40 days. He runs to this cave. And God says, why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah's, you know, like, I alone, I'm the only one that's still alive, and, and, and I've, I've done this for you. And, and then God sends an earthquake. First he sends a wind so that the rocks on this mountain are falling. And then he sends an earthquake. And then he sends fire. And then he speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. Sometimes God moves mightily. And, and you can just see it and feel it. But sometimes it's quiet. And sometimes we think because if the Lord is quiet, sometimes we don't always feel his presence. And we think, well, the Lord's not there. But first of all, the Lord dwells in us if you've got the Holy Ghost. And secondly, all you need to do is speak his name and he's there. We don't depend on our feelings. See, our feelings, our heart, that's the seat of all the emotion. That's why it's so important what goes through our minds. Because eventually what goes through our minds will end up in the seat of our emotions. And right then, Elijah was emotional. All this stuff had happened. Now he's fearful for his life. He's running away, and God's speaking to him. And, you know, God's telling him, there were thousands. I've kept 7,000, I believe he said, prophets alive that have not bowed their knee at Baal, that have not kissed Baal. So there were prophets there. But, of course, they were in hiding because they, too, were fearful fearful of Jezebel. Because the spirit of Jezebel is that intimidation spirit. It tries to intimidate. You know, whenever stuff happens or when God tells you to do something and you think, well, I can't do that, I'm not capable, then comes that spirit of intimidation. But God is greater than that spirit of intimidation. That's all they have. If you don't let that intimidate you, if you say no in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood, you're not going to intimidate me. I'm going to do what the Lord said to do. He will give you everything that you have need of in the moment that you need it. He gave Elijah the food that the angel had prepared for him in the space of time that he needed it. He could have sent that angel to feed Elijah through that whole famine. But there was a widow woman that needed to be fed and her son. In fact, after, before the famine was over, that widow woman's son passed away. He died. And she went to Elijah and she said, what is this? You know, here you came so that we could live. And now my son is dead. And what did Elijah do? He prayed for him and he raised him from the dead. You see, God could have did that then. But he has a purpose and a plan. And he doesn't do things always the same. Sometimes you hear about God moving in like in Asbury or you, you hear about God moving the, these great moves of God across overseas in these different countries. And you're thinking, why doesn't it happen at, 
Why is it not happening that way here? We don't know how it's going to happen here. We can't predict it. God has a plan. And we don't have to look to what's going on there because he's already got in his mind what's going to be done. The way he wants it done. In the time that he wants it done. You know, I've heard people say, and I've probably even said this, I know that God will move, but he moves so slowly sometimes. Sometimes it's like this, and sometimes it's slow. Because a thousand days is as a year to the Lord. He has a timing that we're not aware of. Impatience. You know, sometimes we can be so impatient. Where is that revival that we we know that God has promised for lacrosse? Where is that revival? Well, it's coming, so you better get ready. He's trying to prepare us. He wants us to be ready because every single person is going to be needed for that revival. Where are those backsliders? They're coming. They're coming. But we have to be ready. We have to have the right mindset. We have to be willing to work while we have the opportunity to work because the harvest, it's ripe. Jesus said, he didn't say pray for the laborers. He, prayed for, he, said pray, he didn't say pray for the harvest. He said pray for the laborers because the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So sometimes God's timing, the situation, the circumstances, we don't understand it. But God has a perfect plan. And it was at that time that he wanted to, the angel to feed to Elijah so that he would be sustained. Let's go to 1 Kings 19. Verses 1 through 9. Oh, we already read that. Let's go to uh, verse 19, the verses 16 through 19. Yes, there we go. And Jehu, the son of Nemisha, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japheth, at Abel, Meholeth, shalt thou anoint the prophet in thy room. So God, and it came to pass that him that escaped the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slew, and him that escaped from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yea, I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So the Lord was speaking to Elijah. He's letting him know that there were men, there were still prophets that were alive, and he was telling him to make room for Elisha. Why was he telling him to make room for Elisha? There were over seven thousand prophets still in the land. And Elisha was not a prophet at that time. He was telling Elijah, the Lord was soon going to take Elijah. And he was letting Elijah know that there was going to be somebody that was going to be taking his place. So he was telling him to make room. Well, after that, Ahab, that great king, who had everything that he needed, but always wanted something that wasn't his, He saw the garden of Naboth. He could look out his window and see that vineyard garden. And he coveted it, and he wanted it. But Naboth wouldn't sell it. It was a part of his heritage. He was not going to give up that land. So Ahab, being that great king that he was, decided he was going to pout. He was going to be upset. He was going to be mad. He wasn't going to eat. So his wife comes to him, Jezebel comes to him and says, you know, you're the king. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you eating? Why do you have the sad continence? And he says, because I want that vineyard. And Naboth, he won't sell it to me. So the queen, being who she was, said, don't worry about it. You're the king. Don't worry about it. It will be yours. So what does she do? She sends false prophets. She sends false witnesses against Naboth. She said, you have a feast, you invite him, then you're going to have these these false testimonies, and you're going to accuse him of something that he can be stoned to death, and you're going to stone him to death. And so that's what they did. And after that, then 
there was nothing standing in Ahab's way, so he got the vineyard. But here comes Elijah to tell Ahab something, and it wasn't good news. It was because he did that. He was going to die, and the dogs that licked Naboth's blood would also lick Ahab's blood and Jezebel's blood. So God was going to judge them for their wickedness. So all through this process, God is using Elijah. And finally he goes and he meets up with Elisha and he says, he, throws, he, he tells Elisha, he throws his mantle on him and he tells him, come and follow me. And Elijah, Elisha says, okay, but I need to go kiss my father and mother goodbye. So he was out in the field plowing. They had servants, so they must have had money. And he takes the oxen. He kills them. They have, and he takes the ox gold, and he chops them up because he's no longer going to be that farmer. He's now going to be taking the place of Elijah. So he goes and does that, and he says goodbye. And he follows after Elijah. And he spends time with Elijah. He sees how the, the Lord uses Elijah. And the time is coming when God is going to take Elijah away. He's not going to kill him. He's just going to take him to heaven. There's two people that never died in the Bible that we know of. Enoch, he was not because God took him. And Elijah was not because God took him. So... Elijah knew that he was going to be gone. He was going to be taken, and so did Elisha. And um, Elijah said, well, now I have to go to Bethel, and uh, you can stay here. And Elijah said, no, I'm going to go where you go. So he went. And first they go to Gilgal, and then they go to Bethel, and um as they're going, they go to Jericho, and there's a school of prophets there. And all the prophets speak to Elisha, and they say, Don't you know that the Lord's going to take Elijah? The, the Lord's going to take him away? And Elisha says, Yes, I know. You just, just hold your tongue. And finally, um, Elijah says to Elisha, What is it that you want? And Elisha said, I want a double portion. And Elijah, that, that you know, I, I guess I would have wanted a double portion. He did many miracles. He, he God spoke to him and used him. But there was also a price that came with that. And Elijah said, you're asking a hard thing. But if you see me go, then that request will be granted. So then they went along. They went to Jericho, and then they went to the Jordan. And when they got to the Jordan River, Elisha, Elijah takes his mantle. He puts it across the Jordan, or he puts it in the Jordan. The Jordan parts. The waters part. And they walk across dry land, and they get to the other side. And sure enough, here comes this whirlwind. Here the Lord takes Elisha up. And Elijah, or Elijah up, and Elisha's watching him, and the mantle falls. And Elisha, Elisha rips his clothes because he's grieved, because the prophet is gone. He picks up the mantle, and he, he goes to the Jordan, and he says, Where is the God of Elijah? And he throws it on the waters, and the waters part, and he walks through the waters. Elisha did many more miracles, Elisha did, than Elijah. Uh, right away, he goes to Jericho, and the people are saying, you know, we have a great country, we have great land, but our waters, they're not good, so the land is barren. It's bitter water. And so Elisha, he throws some salt in it, and the water is cured, and it's, it's good water. And from that day forward, they didn't have trouble with the water. He's walking along one day, and these children come out from this, this village that they live in, and they're mocking him. They're calling him, go ahead, bald head. They're making fun of him. And Elisha rebukes them and curses them. And two she-bears come out, and they kill 40 of this, those children because they were touching 
the anointed. We really need to be careful the words we speak, who we speak against, what we are saying, because your words are powerful. They hold weight. And I've often thought about this. They were children, but they were cursing the prophet. And for some reason, if it was their parents that were rebellious and did not teach them, you know, in the Old Testament, if you had rebellious children, you were supposed to stone them. If they wouldn't listen to you, then they were supposed to be stoned. So whatever it was, there was a reason for those children to die because they were mocking the prophet. And then there were three kings that were going to fight and one of the kings was Jehoshaphat. Now, he was a godly king. The other kings that he paired up with were not so, but the Moabites were coming to fight against them. And these three kings were no match for that. So the Lord said, okay, Elisha, you go and you tell them this is what you need to do. You need to go to this valley. And, of course, you know, when they went to war, they were going with their cattle, with their tents, with these huge armies, you know, they had to have food to eat. They had to have water to drink. They had to have a place for their cattle to be able to eat and to rest. So Elisha told them where to go, to go to this valley. And he said, there's no water there, so you dig ditches. So they dug ditches, all all kinds of ditches. And he said, there's not going to be dew and there's not going to be rain, but in the morning there's going to be water enough for you and your cattle. And sure enough, there was in all these ditches. And when the Moabites were coming down, the reflection of the sun on that water looked like blood. And so the Moabites think, well, we don't really have to fight. They must have killed themselves because all that blood is there. So they're going down, and sure enough, these three kings and Jehoshaphat, they went and they killed the Moabites. The Lord delivered them into their hand. There was a time when one of the prophet's wives came to him and said, Elisha, you know that my husband was a godly man. He was a prophet. He passed away. And now the debtors are come to take my sons because they must have owed money. And if you didn't have money to pay, they could enslave you. So they were coming to take her two sons. She said, what can I do? And he said, well, what do you have in your, what do you have in your house? And she said, well, we've got some oil. And he said, okay, you, you borrow all the pots you can, all the pots you can, and as many as you can. And then you shut your door and you start pouring, pouring oil from your pot into those pots. And so she did. And she kept asking her sons, bring me more pots, bring me more pots. And they kept bringing her pots and bringing her pots. And finally, they said that was the last pot. So she said, okay, Elisha, now what do I do? He said, you go sell what you have and the extra money you live on. It's a great reminder over and over, both Elisha and Elijah, about how God is our provider. When it looks like there isn't a way, there may come a day where there looks like there's no way that we're going to be able to eat, that we're going to be able to get the necessities that we have. But these are reminders Because God does not change. He is faithful. We don't need to be afraid of the circumstances or the situation. Sometimes we get our eyes so focused on what's going on out there, it's a deterrent so that we don't know what's going on here. He has a purpose and a plan. Until until the day of our death, until our time is done here, until we are no longer needed here, He's going to provide for us. He's going to take care of us. Whatever that looks like, however that happens, does she think that she would have oil enough in that one pot to sell oil, pay her debtors, and then live off that? I'm sure she did not. Did that widow in Seraphat, did she think that she would have enough meal to feed her and her son and Elijah for three years? No, but he did it, and he will do it for us. If we keep our eyes on the Lord, if we are sensitive to his voice, he takes care of every need. Now, sometimes, especially in this country, what we think is a need is really a want. 
So we need to be sensitive to that. Is it really a need or is it just a want? These are times that we need to be preparing ourselves. God had prepared Elijah and Elisha ahead of time for what he had planned for them to do, the things that he wanted them to accomplish. They were all done ahead of time. He put everything they needed into them ahead of time. They had the faith to believe that God said it, and they had the ears to hear what he was saying. There was another prophet. They were building um, a greater building because the prophets had the school and it wasn't sufficient. So uh, one of the prophets had borrowed an axe. And as he was using it, the axe had, that was iron fell off and it fell into the water and it sunk. Well, if that happened and you borrowed an item, then you had to replace it. That's what part of the law was. So he comes to Elisha. He tells him what happened. Elisha said, where did it fall? Throw the stick where it fell. And as soon as the stick landed, that axe head that was iron was floating on top of the water. There were many miracles that they did. One of the great miracles was, of course, Naaman, who was a leopard. He was from Syria. His wife had a handmaiden. He had leprosy. The handmaiden said, go to Elisha, the prophet, go to Israel. He will heal you. Of course, Naaman went to the king. The king said, I can't do it. They sent him to Elisha. And the story was he was to dip himself seven times in the Jordan, and then the leprosy would disappear. So he did it. The Jordan wasn't magic. Elisha's mantle wasn't magic when Elisha touched the the Jordan River and the waters parted. When Elisha used it, there wasn't magic there. It was the hand of God. A mantle was something that was very important. It was, I've heard it and I've read it, that a mantle was like the sleeping bag back then. You needed a mantle. That's what you used to sleep to cover up with. It was your covering for at night when you slept. It was your bed that you took with. So that mantle was very important. And then, of course, after that, the Syrian, the Syrian king was going to fight against the Israelites. And every time he made a move, well, the Israelites already knew ahead of time. So then the Assyrian king, he thinks, well, we've got a traitor in our camps. Who's telling, who's telling Israel what's going on? And they said, Nobody. It's, it's Elisha, the prophet. So they sent some of the Assyrian army to go and surround Elisha and capture him. And so when this happens, all these people are, all these soldiers are there. And Elisha's servant looks out and he sees it and he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, don't worry. Don't worry. The armies of the Lord are greater than, than the army out there. And what the servant didn't see, but God allowed him to see, was that the Lord had sent angels to do battle. And so then um, Elisha says, and then the Lord blinded them. So Elisha said, don't worry. We're going to take you to where you need to go. They take him to the Israelite king. The king says, should we kill him? And Elisha said, no, feed him and send him back. There were all these great miracles He also, Elisha also had a woman that took care of him. Every time he would go past a certain house, this woman was, her husband was wealthy. They had extra room in their house. So she said to her husband, let's make a room for Elisha the prophet. So anytime he passes by here, he can come in and rest. So he had a bed and a table and a candle. And it was a room on the side of the house. And so every time he came, She would host him. And then one day he said, well, what can I do for you to this woman? What what do you need? And she said, I don't really have anything I need. And then Elisha was talking to a servant. and He said, what can I do for this widow woman? Because she provides for us. And Elisha's, uh, Elisha's servant said, well, she doesn't have any children. And her husband's old. So Elisha said, next year around this time, you're going to have a child. And she did. She had a boy. Well, the years passed, and the boy went out to the field to work with his father, and he ended up having a horrible headache, so the father sends him back to his mother, and he dies. 
So his mother says, because they were wealthy, she said to her servant, you get me a donkey. And one of her servants went with, and she said, we're going to ride as fast as we can. Unless I tell you to slow down, we're going to go find the prophet of God. So she starts coming, and they, the prophet of God and, and his servants see her coming. And he says to his servant, you go run and meet her and find out what's wrong. So the servant did. And she said, nothing's wrong. I just I, I need to get to the prophet. So she gets to the prophet, and she falls at his feet. You know, and she says, you know, I didn't desire the son. You gave me the son, and now he's dead. So Elisha said, okay, I'll come with you. And so he, he first he sent his servant ahead of him. And he said, you take my staff, put it across the boy's face, and he will, you, you'll raise him from the dead. So he did that, but nothing happened. So Elisha went, and he laid on the boy. And three times, finally the breath came back into him. And he raised them from the dead. So these are all types and shadows of things that happened in the Old Testament for us, for the New Testament. When Elisha had and Elijah had that mantle, it was not an easy thing to carry. People were always after them. You know, they, the kings didn't always like the messages that they had to say because they were pro- they were prophets of God. And sometimes the prophets had messages that weren't fun to hear. So in the New Testament, what did Jesus expect from his disciples? Let's go to Matthew 10. We'll go to verse 1 first, and then we'll read 5 and 10. And when he had called unto him the twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases so he was giving them power to cast out demons to heal the sick before they ever received the holy ghost they went out and did that okay can we go to the next verse verses 5 through 10 these 12 jesus sent forth And commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leopards, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for I for the workman is worthy of meat. So what was he requiring of his disciples? He was requiring them to do what he had done. He was requiring them to go out and heal the sick. To cast out demons. He, he was requiring them to have faith. To believe that wherever they went. The Lord would provide for them. They weren't supposed to take their silver and their gold. They weren't supposed to take two coats. They were only supposed to take one. They were supposed to believe. Because they had already seen what Jesus could do. They had already seen him heal those people. They had already seen him feed the the 5,000 and the 4,000, he had seen, they had seen that. So they knew what he could do. They already had the faith, even before they had the Holy Ghost. This is what he expected of them. This was the mantle that he expected them to carry. Let's go to Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake. For what what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
What are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? You know, so many people are so willing. They don't even know it out in the world. They give so little for their souls. But we have the answer for them. That's why we have to be on board. That's why we have to deny ourselves daily. Take up our cross and follow after us. What does it mean to deny ourselves? Well, it's going to be different things for different people. You know, um, Sister Joy Haney passed away not too long ago. But when Jason Sisko was a young evangelist, he was there one day. Um, He was there in Stockton, California, and he was preaching. And Sister Haney came up to him and she said, You know, Brother Sisko, she said, I've done the research. I've done my research. And she said, most of the godly men, most of the men that have done great things for God, they get up early. And she knew that he was an evangelist. And being an evangelist, you're preaching a lot of night services. So, of course, you get to bed late. And then sometimes you get up late. And she knew that that was his habit. And so it sent conviction into his heart because he needed to get up early. You know, we need to spend the first part of our day with Jesus. If it's a relationship, we need to spend the first part of our day with him. When Brother Shock was here last year speaking at family camp, he said him and his wife, And they couldn't always do it when their children were little, little, because, of course, you know, the child, they have needs. But he said they made it a habit before they spoke to each other. They had already read a psalm or a proverb, and they had already spent time with the Lord before they would speak to each other. That's how important the relationship is with Jesus. It's not easy. That's what it's called denying ourselves. Now, what early is for you, I don't know. But you need to be able to spend that time with Jesus first. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord most high and mighty. And it is a relationship. And not only that, but the more you do it, the more you want to do it. The closer you feel to him, the more you just want to seek his face. The more you read his word, the more it washes over you and it gets in your spirit. You grow in his grace and your knowledge. There's stuff in there that you didn't even know was in there, but the time you need it, all of a sudden it's coming out. Let's go to Mark 10, 17 through 22. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled by him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I done from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. This is the mantle that Jesus is passing on to us, taking up the cross daily and following him. And he said, he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. That's our mantle, to take up our cross daily. Paul said, I die daily. What are the fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. All this crucifying, that's the mantle. He was the king of glory. He was the Lord most holy. He prepared a body of flesh because he was spirit, of flesh and bone and blood. 
He prepared that body, which was Jesus, and he robed himself with that body, and he hung on the cross. Can we go to Hebrews 12, 2? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised that shame. He was naked on that cross. It was a curse to dry to to be crucified. That was not what we were. That, that was not what godly men were to be done to them. It was a curse. People that, that died on the cross, it was a curse. But he did that for you and me. He bore those stripes on his back so that we could be healed. He is the king of glory. And he's asking us. He won't demand it of you. He's a gentleman. He stands at that door and he knocks. We have to be willing. We have to be willing every day to say, Lord, what is that cross for me? What do I need to do to deny myself today? How do I need to prepare myself for what you want me to do, for what you want me to accomplish? We are called. We are chosen. We are anointed. And he has, he has a purpose for each one of us. Each one of us. He has called you. He wants to use you. But we have to be willing to be used. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. The mantle will not be easy to carry. Sometimes, as soon as, as, soon as you determine in your mind, I'm going to do this, you can expect there's going to be pushback. It's not easy. We don't know what's coming ahead. There's going to be pushback. Sometimes you feel like you take two steps forward, and then you're pushed back two steps. But God will be with you. He will give you exactly what you need, exactly at the time that you need it. Expect that pushback. That's okay. The enemy can only do so much. He can o- the Lord will only let him do so much. He will not give you more than you can bear. He will not ask you of more than what you can do. But when he asks, are we willing to answer? Are we willing daily to just pick up that cross and say, Lord, Whatever it is that you need from me today, will I be willing to do? Whatever you want me to deny myself. You know, Tom, Tom Barnes was a great prophet of God. And uh, he was talking to one of the people that he mentored. And he said, you know, denying yourself, it looks like many different things. But one thing that he loved was ice cold Dr. Pepper. So he usually had two a day. But sometimes... He said, if I just feel like I need to just deny myself of something today, I'm going to deny myself of that Dr. Pepper. It can be the small things, and it can be the great things. But it's just walking in the Spirit, being sensitive. The fruits of the Spirit, it's like if we live in the Spirit, then we've got to walk in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is listening to your Master's voice. What is He telling you for today? What is he telling you in this moment? It's making that connection, constantly making that connection with him. Shutting out the other voices in the world. Sometimes it's just getting in that secret place. It's in that secret place. If you go to that secret place privately, he's going to reward you openly. The fruits of the Spirit are going to be, they're going to be manifesting in your life because he's the vine and we're the branches. We need to be doing his work. If we don't, we're going to be cut off. Isn't that what he said? You're the vine, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He prunes. Sometimes he has to prune away. Sometimes he has to take this and that. And, and, and he's teaching us and he's growing us. Growing is not fun. Sometimes, you know, we just can't wait to become adults. And then we're adults and we're like, oh, man, this is not so much fun. I actually have to go to work. I actually have to pay for my clothes. I actually really have to be an adult, and I have to get out of this bed and do what I don't want to do. But there are many rewards, too. Then you get to pay for your clothes, and then you get to pay for that car. And then you have the privilege of either staying up all night 
or maybe realizing that that doesn't work so well and going to bed. You get to have that family. You get to have those great those grandchildren, those great-grandchildren. There are so many blessings. There are so many blessings to being obedient to God. There are so many ways that he will protect you and watch over you. He will see, send his angels to protect us, to feed us, to clothe us, to do whatever we need to be done that needs to be done. But it's up to us. We have to take those steps because he is a gentleman. He will not he will not push that door open. He will not unlock that door. That's something that we have to do. So tonight, I just pray that you would take that mantle. Ask the Lord, what is it you want me to do? He has a work for us. Until we're gone, he has a work for us. You know, pray that the Lord will lead that special person to you that you can teach that Bible study to. You have, we have what the world needs. We just need those people to come to us so that we can show them the way. And you know what? They're going to start coming. So be prepared, whether you're at the store, whether you're at that restaurant, whether you're just not oblivious walking down the road and you don't know it. The Lord's going to lead those people to you. But you have to be really willing and ready. That's what all that connection is about. That's what about... Taking up that cross is all about is being ready and prepared to do what he's asking us to do. So tonight, can we just stand and we're just going to pray in dismissal? Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that your word would just wash over us, O Lord, that it would be like that anointing oil that flows from the top of the head all the way to the bottom of the feet. Lord, your word will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not. Help us to take that word, to have it be like a seed that's planted, that's growing, O God. Help us to grow in your grace and your knowledge, O God, knowing that you are the shepherd and the bishop of our souls that you are the lover of our souls, that you watch over us, you protect us, you will keep evil away. You will not ask us to do more than we are willing to do, O God, but you will give us with that responsibility, O God, with whatever you're given us to do, O God. You give us the ability, you will give us the courage, you will give us the strength. We thank you, Lord, that you are moving in the midst of your people. We thank you that you are moving in the midst of the city, O Lord. We thank you for the, the rhema, the word that has been spoken over the city, over every one of us, O oh God. We know that it will come to pass, that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word that is either written or has been spoken will come to pass. So in the name of Jesus, we raise our hands, we believe it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed in Sunday service.